title of today's message is Restoring the Image. And we're going to start off in Romans chapter 6. We're going to get there eventually. And a little over a week ago, Tammy and I went to Michigan. And we got there by taking the ferry out of Milwaukee. And you drive onto the ferry in your car. And you get to take that across the lake and uh, have your car on the other side. So we did that. It's pretty neat. You get to drive onto this huge boat. And it was the first time, even though I'd grown up next to Lake Michigan for most of my life, it was the first time that I had been so far out in the lake that I couldn't even see the Milwaukee or Wisconsin shore anymore. So it was a pretty neat experience to stand there on the deck as the wind's just blowing in your face because this, this boat's really fast. It gets you across the lake in a little over two hours. And um, just the wind whipping and just looking around and seeing nothing but water. I'd never experienced that before on Lake Michigan. So that was really neat. And as I was walking along deck, being the safety person that I am, I'm kind of looking at the various safety devices. And I see the life rafts. I see the, the uh, life preserver uh, box and everything. And then I walked up and I saw a big red uh, cord with a big red handle that said EPIRB. And I'm like, what's an EPIRB? What's an EPIRB? And then I remembered one of my uh, favorite programs used to be Deadliest Catch. And if you ever watch that show, it's about crab fishermen in the Bering Sea. And they have, uh, they talk occasionally about EPIRBs going off. And what an EPIRB is, is an emergency position indicating radio beacon. Basically what it does is if it gets pulled, it turns on, and it tells the Coast Guard, hey, there's some problem going on here. We need you out here right away. And it blinks at the Coast Guard centers, and they send out everything toward, toward those EPIRBs. It shows exactly where you are and that you need help. And I was thinking about that as I meditated this week about EPIRBs. And I was thinking, what if something had happened and the ferry sank? Maybe it hit, hit something, ran over something, sprung a leak. One of the vehicles in the, in the bottom of the boat blew up or something, blew a big hole in the boat, and it just sank out from under me. And I'm sitting there, and I'm bobbing in Lake Michigan, probably freezing my rear end off because it's a pretty cold lake if you've never been in it. And I'm waiting, and I'm holding on to this EPIRB for dear life, knowing that the Coast Guard is eventually going to come. I'm going to see a helicopter. I'm going to see a Coast Guard cutter. I'm going to see some type of response from Michigan and from Wisconsin to come and save me. Now, my dad was actually in the Coast Guard, and he would occasionally serve as the watch officer at the Kenosha Station. And I remember him doing that, and they, he was surrounded by radios, he was surrounded by screens, and all that kind of thing. And, occasion, and he would tell me that he'd have to monitor the marine tr radio traffic, and if somebody called for help, then he would have to arrange that. If it was a toll, private companies would usually go out and get them. Or, but if it was an emergency and an EPIRB went off, then he'd have to activate the entire emergency response and send everybody over there. Now imagine if the watch officer at the local Coast Guard station sees an EPIRB alert flash up on their screen. They, write, they look at it, they write down the time, they write down the location, they write down the vehicle involved, and do nothing else but go back and watch TV. They log it and do nothing else. Or maybe they decide, I'm going to send a single helicopter to see what's going on. The helicopter gets there, it circles, drops a raft, and says, hey, good luck, there's some oars in there, roll yourself back to Milwaukee. What I just described there are actually two different ways, but wrong ways, that people think 
about this idea we're going to be talking about today called sanctification. Some people think that God just makes a note in a logbook when you get saved that allows St. Peter to open the entrance to heaven with you. They treat this, this idea like Peter's some type of a bouncer at a nightclub that only lets the good people in and keeps the bad people out. It's nowhere found in the Bible, just kind of a tradition that grew up within Christianity. But that's not what is going on when you get saved. Some other people think that Jesus just gets a life raft for us. But it's up to us to row ourselves into heaven at that point. He just provides a way so we don't drown on the way there. But he is going. But it is our job to row ourselves into heaven by our own effort. That's another wrong way to look at sanctification. Because what God has in mind is something so much greater than we can even comprehend. Let's start off by defining this word sanctification. If you ever take a theology class... I'm going to give you a hint. The definition of sanctification is to separate something from the ordinary and to make it holy. That's what sanctification is. It means to take something that is common and to make it holy. In the Catholic Church, they would take something like a bottled water, tap water, they'd put a blessing on it, put it in a fount, and call it holy water. They would sanctify that water. We don't do that, but that's, that's just an example of what sanctification is. So if you see that in a, in a theology test, that's the Bible school definition, pick that answer. I like that definition, but it's very cerebral. It's very cold. It's very dry. It doesn't get down to where you and I live each day as, as people who are trying to be like Jesus. So let's look at a new definition of sanctification, and it's going to be our big idea for today. Sanctification is the restoration of the image of God within a person. Think about what everything that happened in the Garden of Eden. When they saw themselves were naked, it was because the Holy Spirit had been taken out of them, had been taken off of them. That image of God was torn apart and ripped up and thrown down on the ground. So sanctification is that restoration of that image within a person. So a quick quiz. I'm not sure how many people here, do you, anybody here remember the TV show Name That Tune? You'd have to be kind of old to remember it like me. I'm going to be 50 this year. It was in the 70s, so if, if you weren't a 70s baby or 70s child, you probably wouldn't uh, remember this. So we're going to play Name That Tune this morning. I'm going to sing, or not sing, because you don't want me to sing. I'm going to say a line from A Christmas Carol and see if anybody can remember it. Adam's likeness now we face, stamp thine image in its place. Hint, it's a Christmas carol. It is. Conrad got it. He wins the prize. You could be first in line for the <laughs> for the fellowship meal. Everybody knew it. Really, that is sanctification in a nutshell. Saying it in an old English kind of way. But it's talking about removing that old image of the sinful person and allowing God to remake us in his image. That idea of being made holy is usually seen in Christianity 
like this, and it's usually seen in two different extremes. The way I look at our Christian life is kind of, I guess, framed in a way by a book called Pilgrim's Progress, where a, a gentleman named Pilgrim, he walks through his life, and he's, ha he's beset by all kinds of different challenges and everything. And I kind of look at our life broadly like that with God, that our, our walk with God is like a narrow path up a mountain that has a huge drop-off on either side, huge pits that have a tendency to catch people. If you, follow, if you go a little bit too far to the left or go a little too far to the right, you're going to fall into one pit or another. On the right pit are people like we were talking about at the beginning of the message, people who want to earn God's favor through their own works or by following rules that are largely man-made. And then they tell other people that if they don't follow those rules, they're not as godly as they are. That's called legalism. The extreme example of that would be places like Westboro Baptist Church, those guys that, that protest military funerals, where they would say, unless you follow our rules, you're not going to, to heaven. But you see this in any other church that talks more about following rules to be personally holy instead of glorifying the finished work of Christ that he has made us holy through his sacrifice. Now, I think that we should absolutely strive in personal holiness. God wants us to be holy. He tells us, be holy for I am holy. The difference is when you trust your own holiness more than you trust Christ. And if you trust more in your own holiness, that makes you a legalist. On the left side of that path of sanctification is an equally dangerous pit. And it's probably the ditch that we see most often in the American church. This one is one one and filled with people who use the grace of God to live however they want. They will say that since the cross of Christ cleanses us from all of our sin today, yesterday, and forever, we get to live and do whatever we want here on the earth because Christ is covering all of that. This is called lasciviousness, which means to live without any moral boundaries. This is also a pit that we can fall into when we talk about this idea of personal sanctification. And they're both equally dangerous in that they take your eyes off the truth found in God's word and, they, and the importance of restoring his image in your life. The restoration of this image is where we have this tension in our lives where we, we have a tendency to walk this way and this way and not straight up the path. It's that tension between the divine character that he is trying to infill us with, that he is trying to change and place inside us, and human free will. There's always that tension that we have with that. And I think that the reason that many people, especially in the American church, are very lazy when it comes to wanting God's character or wanting that restoration of, their, of his image in their lives is because they only view what Jesus did as a get-out-of-jail free card. Everybody play Monopoly? You get that get-out-of-jail-free card? That's kind of how they look at Jesus. It is definitely sure that he has given us a way to get out of hell. But... The problem is, is that they only view the cross as a way to save us from hell. And that's true, but it's only part of the story. Jesus didn't go to the cross to just save us from hell. Jesus didn't just record a, a 
decision and leave us alone. He just didn't throw us a, la a raft and tell us to row ourselves to heaven. Jesus went to the cross to give us eternal life. Amen. He gave us eternal life, not just when we die, but our eternal life starts when we come to faith in him. And I've said that repeatedly over the last couple of weeks, but it bears repeating over and over again. Your eternal life began when you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Amen. It does not start at your death. It does not start at the end of the dash they put on your tombstone. It started the moment you trusted him as your Lord and Savior. It's like before you decided that Jesus was going to be Lord and Savior, it's like you were sick and bend-bound in an ICU with heart failure, with machines keeping you alive. But then Jesus came and donated his heart to you. You woke up and you suddenly feel new life, and in a few weeks you leave the hospital and you're able to live freely again. In order to live according to this newness that Jesus has given you, he needs our cooperation to place that character back within us. And this is going to be a lifelong journey that we go on. So to help us to understand how God restores his image in our spirits, I came up with three D's that will help us to remember how it works. Number one is that you need to desire sanctification. That's the first of the three D's, is we need to have a desire to have God's image formed within us. And that's going to bring us to Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that... Just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. You know, Christians can be the, some of the most vacillating people on earth when it comes to our spirituality. And I think it's because we spend so much time, all of our time really, but focusing on, on the flesh, focusing on living in these bodies, focusing on our, on our health, our appearance, all these other things. And we never really remember that we are a spirit being first. We are a spirit having an earthly existence within an earthly body. I once heard a speaker at Promise Keepers say, if you don't know what Promise Keepers, that was a men's ministry in the 90s. He said that it only takes the devil 15 minutes to bring you from the heights of heaven and worship back down into his pits again. I think that's very true. As a matter of fact, I don't even think it takes 15 minutes in some cases. I think people can walk out of a church and, and before they get to the car, the devil has them again because of where their mind um, goes and focuses on. I think most of us just try to hide that bad part of our nature and we do it very well, but then when we relax a bit, it comes right back out. Every single one of us struggles with the evil that is within our hearts. Every single one of us, me included. All of us can be very selfish. All of us can be very rude. All of us can be very self-seeking. All of us can be very proud, lustful, or covetous. And just generally sometimes disagreeable people when put into the right circumstances. 
The person that you see at 4 a.m. after I've been awake for about 28 hours and I have to deal with a drunk who's spitting at me and cussing and yelling at me may not be the same person you see standing before you right now. I may be a little crabby, and I admit that. I can be crabby with that person at that point. We all fight with that internal, selfish, horrible person and that, that remnant of Adam within our hearts. Most of us were old enough to remember the 80s where several prominent televangelists were found to be in very deep sin. All of us were very, are very shocked when a Christian leader succumbs to the same temptation that everyone else faces every day. And I don't excuse that. I don't excuse what they did. The Bible says that not too many of you should desire to be teachers because you'll incur a stricter judgment. The Bible does place a higher standard to people who would call themselves pastor, evangelist, prophet, teacher. He, they place that higher standard on them. What that means is that God is going to judge each individual according to the revelation of God that they have. And naturally, a spiritual leader has a slightly greater revelation than your average person because they study and study and study all the time. But this is what we need. And this is why we need the desire to be sanctified. We need to want to be remade into God's image. Desire is the number one requirement for it to happen. And it's also one of the main ways that Satan attacks us in our spiritual lives, to remove any desire for godliness in our lives. Let me give you some modern cultural examples of Satan's attack in this area. One of the things that we would struggle with um, getting children's ministry going at prayer house was the fact that for several months a year, a lot of the kids weren't in church. And we would ask, well, why aren't they in church? They said, well, they have kids' soccer on Sundays. I said, why do they have kids' church on Sundays? Don't they know people go to church? And they said, they don't care. They said, we're going to have kids, and our kids want to play soccer, so we're going to let them play soccer, and they're not going to be in church. And then they complain, come back and complain when the kids aren't acting right because they've been out there playing soccer. So that's, you see this happening more and more. They have it on Sunday mornings. And I see it even around here sometimes. When do a lot of volunteer organizations have meeting or do their good works? Sunday mornings. The NFL is the most popular sporting event in the country right now. When do they play the majority of their games? Sundays. Many of them starting at noon central time. Guess what happens to Mountain Time and, and, the, and the left coast there? It's starting during church time. I don't think it's any coincidence, but I think it's a concerted attack by the enemy of our souls to take away from the desire for godliness in our lives because one of the most important acts that we can do to help build the image of God within us is to attend church as often as possible. Anybody have the, or heard the saying, birds of a feather flock together? Those who you stand around the most, you're going to emulate the most. That which you listen to and watch the most, you'll start to have that incorporated into your life. Well, if you teach yourself or teach your children to um, place church on the a la carte menu, that, okay, I want to pick that, eh, not this Sunday, I want to sleep, and you continue to do that, and then you wonder why your life is falling apart. Well, that's why. That's right. I had a person, um, J. 
just recently telling me, telling me that his his life is falling apart and he just doesn't know why. And, and I know him to be a Christian. And I said, well, when's the last time you were in church? And I, I knew the answer. And he said, oh, gosh, it's been months. Ding. That, there's your sign, right? You're, you're, you're not being around the people of God. You're not being encouraged. And even more importantly, you're not using your ministry gift to encourage others. That's part of the, the church life also. So I want to stop for a moment and just ask you, how strong is your desire to see Jesus Christ and his character formed in you? And I'll just let the Holy Spirit for a moment just reveal that to you personally. I think if we're all honest with each other, we would say that in many ways we fall short in disciplining ourselves to allow God to shape and form Jesus' nature and character into our lives. And that's why we need the second D of sanctification. And that is determination. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by the faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Anybody know who the, he's kind of an action star, wrestler, Dwayne The Rock Johnson? Anybody know who he is? Yeah, everybody knows The Rock. The Rock says, yeah. He's rapidly becoming one of the most famous action stars in our generation, and he's well known for being a former professional wrestler. And he's just a giant of a man, just a big guy, muscle-bound, Hulk guy. He's also a motivational speaker, and I listen to him once in a while because he talks about how to remain at the top of your game when it comes to being successful. And he has this laser focus in life about remaining at the level he is at or getting higher, and it's so encompassing that no matter where he is filming in the world, no matter what he is doing, he follows the exact same pattern in his life every single day. It is so, he is so focused on everything that he could be in Thailand and he will have a semi-trailer uh, full of exercise equipment that follows him throughout the world. I'm not talking about a bull flex and two free weights. I'm talking about enough exercise equipment that would fill a gold's gym. He calls it his iron paradise. He wakes up every single morning between 3.30 and 4, does an hour of cardio, and then two hours in the gym working out. Now that's the motivation. I don't have that motivation. I'll be honest with you. That is a, an earthly example of someone who is very determined to meet a goal. And he said in one of his motivational speech, speeches that the moment he knows at the moment he skips a day, or skips a couple of days. One day will turn into two days. Two days will turn into a week. A week will turn into a month. He knows as soon as he lets up that he will stop working out. He'll fall from the position that he has now in life and that he'll be done as far as being famous. And as I said, that's an earthly example who's, of someone who's very determined to meet a goal. Now we talk about our average Christian. And I, I count myself in here also. I think sometimes grace can make us lazy. Since Jesus has done everything for us in dying for our sins and giving us eternal life, 
that we as humans have a tendency to be a little lackadaisical when it comes to sanctification and, and allowing God to form his image in us and what our part is supposed to be in that. Our part in allowing God to form the image of Christ within us is a bit counterintuitive. You know, the rock does all this effort over here to keep himself on the top, but in Christianity, it's like we have to do the exact opposite. But that's why God's kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this earth. On this earth, you rise to whatever level you work the hardest for. One of the great things about America is that anyone could be a millionaire if you really want to work hard enough in the right way and sacrifice everything to do it. But God's economy doesn't work this way. Oftentimes, growth is seen through death. Progress is seen through surrender. How far you're lifted up is by how far you are willing to, be, to put aside your own desires. The last, or first shall be last, the last shall be first. And that's why this restoring is always seen through a determination to let God's character and plan for you push out your own desires, wants, and needs. But you need to be determined in this surrender, as counterintuitive as that sounds. Unfortunately, the Bible shows us how. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13 shows us how to do that. For it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. It involves a surrender. And it's how we work out our sanctification, surrendering to God, trusting in his work in, his, in your life. Be determined to, sur to surrender to Jesus this morning, and not only to surrender this morning, but not be like one of those 15-minute people. Stay surrendered. And this is how God's power, his presence, provision molds us and shapes us into an image we can show that can show Jesus to the world. We get to the final D of sanctification, and that is dedication. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power into the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, Though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in every kind of trial. These come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though divine, refined by fire, may be proved genuine and result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. This last week in nursing school, we are studying something called the integument. That's a fancy medical word for so your skin. And as healthcare professionals, one of the things that we have to do sometimes is call a decision or an incision and drainage. 
Usually somebody will come up to you and say, you know, I got this like big red mark and it's swollen and it's hot and it's squishy and I just, I don't know what's going on there. And we look at it and we feel it, find it hot. We say, okay, well, there's something in here there we need to get out. So we numb it up, lance it, squeeze it out and get all that ick out of there so that we, um, so that healing can happen. And this is a way of seeing what verse 6 is speaking about when it talks about suffering. So how many people here, when you got saved, kind of looked at the menu board for Christianity, you looked at the available options, you saw prayer Jabez over here, Lord, keep me away from pain, keep me away from trial, keep me away from any persecution, and over here you saw suffering. How many people went to the suffering window? Nobody in their right mind is going to choose suffering, right? Nobody wants to suffer. But suffering and trials and persecution are how God gets the nastiness out that is within us. He makes that cut and then lets the circumstances squeeze all of that nasty out so that he can replace it with himself and bring healing and restoration of his image within you. This suffering and persecution's role in our spiritual growth is vital because it tests our dedication to God's plan for our life and helps make it firmer so all that bad gets out of there and the good takes its place. And the good in this case is the restoration of that image of God. And it is given to us so that we can show it to the world. Desire, determination, and dedication. These are the three keys to allowing God to sanctify you and set you apart to be a vessel that carries his presence, his power, and his message to a lost and dying world. Just like that verse in Hark the Herald Angels Sing says, Adam's likeness now efface. Stamp thine image in its place. And Father, I would hope that would be the desire of every single person here this morning. I ask, Father, that you would just give us the desire, the dedication, and the determination to see your image replaced in us. Father God, just strike away all this facade that we put out. Too many of us are living like social media Christians that we're going to make a great profile to show the world, but in behind all that be a mess. Help us instead to just open up everything to you, to live before you in openness and honesty, saying, God, I know that I'm a wreck, but I'm your wreck. Father, do whatever it takes to form that image back within me, an image that you can use to save others at this time and in this place in history. Father God, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Father.